Last year, the price of a single iceberg lettuce rose to more than $11, so most consumers went for the cheaper mixed greens instead. Following a similar behavior, a recent poll says consumers want cuts to carbon emissions now and will tend to do it more if there are cheaper green alternatives. With renewed economic pressure from consumers, this will then nudge manufacturers to move to producing low-carbon and green alternatives sooner. A new study shows that with a better-designed carbon tax policy, it's possible to do just that. Hello, I'm Anne-Marie Reyes reporting from Gadigal Land in New South Wales, and you're tuned in to another episode of Think Sustainability, the program that talks about practical solutions for a better planet. In this episode, we talk about a study on a new redesigned carbon tax policy. Australia did have a carbon tax policy 11 years ago. The science is clear. Our planet is warming. That warming is caused by carbon pollution, by human activity, and we need to cut carbon pollution. But we are here now, and now is the time to get this done. As a nation, we need to put a price on carbon and create a clean energy future. Well, in its essence, it's incredibly simple. We will require around 500 big polluters to pay a price for every tonne of carbon pollution they put into our atmosphere. At the moment, those big polluters can release that pollution into our atmosphere for free. We will require them to pay a price per tonne. When the Abbott government came into power two years later, they scrapped that policy, saying it hurt business. Okay, so let's look a little bit closer. How a newly designed carbon tax policy may look like. The main point is that the policy itself will result in reduction of carbon emissions. With regard to the economic benefits, we have to apply a revenue recycling approach, meaning that all the carbon tax revenue should be redirected back into the economy in order to provide economic benefits. Mona Mashadrashabi is a financial analyst and data scientist from the newly established Centre for Climate Risk and Resilience at the University of Technology Sydney School of Business. She looks into redesigning the old carbon tax, tweaking it so it actually works, kind of sharing the proceeds without living behind the poorest while carbon emitters are still making money from their investment, while everyone is also taking strong action on climate change now. On recent count, scientists say we're making barely a dent on our burgeoning greenhouse emissions. And since 1990, Government says direct carbon emissions have gone up more than 100 times in the mining sector, more than half in the construction and services sector, and more than a third in transport and utilities. Mona says with this better design, the carbon tax can help reverse that trend faster without making the poor poorer. One of the main uh, problems with the first carbon tax policy that has been implemented in Australia was about just transferring some parts of the carbon tax revenue to government payment recipients who are unemployed. The share of the consumption of those groups are not large compared to the consumption of groups that 
that are working, the middle class people who earn money and work and then spend that money in the economy. We want everyone to be compensated. The low-income families who receive payment from the government should be compensated, but also the people who are working be compensated through reduction in the income taxes. And by applying this approach, we uh, will keep the consumption constant. And then we have an extra money to be invested in new projects, in new technologies, research and development, and accelerate our transition toward the low-carbon economy. As early as 1990, 30 years ago, the country Finland took advantage of a carbon tax. Now it's leading globally, with 60% of its greenhouse emissions linked to carbon pricing, an expansive renewable energy economy. 18 more countries followed their example using their own economic modeling. Even for smaller country, Ukraine has a modified carbon tax. But for this policy to work this time around, Mona explains that the new design must have revenue recycling attached to it. Okay, let's pull apart revenue recycling. First, the policy will tax high carbon emitters. We recycle the revenue from that to give back to the people so they can handle the initial inflation and keep spending. Any leftovers are given to the carbon emitters to reinvest on more new renewable technologies. And for it to work, the government has to restrain from dipping into this revenue for their use. It has to go back to the people first until a transformed, low-carbon economy is bringing in new revenue. If this revenue is consistently reinvested back to the economy, the revenue will pile up, new technology and innovation builds up, until then eventually we have enough to keep the planet to 2050 net zero climate targets. We just keep this in mind that we don't want this carbon tax revenue to be added to the government's revenue. We want this additional income or revenue to be redirected back into the economy. It is recycled through reducing income taxes so the consumption will be saved and then invested in new projects the investment will increase and uh, as we know the main problem in our transition toward the low carbon economy is we need a great amount of investment to substitute the old technologies with new technologies and this investment can be provided by a share of the carbon tax revenue that the government will receive. How can it be ensured that the government will actually do that and share it with the rest of the stakeholders, the revenue from the carbon tax eventually? When we want to have a positive economic and environmental benefits from the policy, uh, all the stakeholders should be in line with the application of the policy. And the government who is implementing the policy and is responsible for applying the policy in the economy and wants the economy to keep growing while solve the environmental problems that we have, they must be considering the fact this revenue should be redirected back into the economy. To make sure that the government can follow this path, I think we have to give more information about the impact of different approaches that the government will take and how they can gain the public support for the policy. Make sure tax revenue will provide new job opportunities, increase the economic growth and does not hurt their budget, so they will support the policy. So let's break down why carbon tax version 1 didn't work for Australia and how have other countries who have adapted to a low-carbon economy managed their challenges. When we apply a new policy, it is possible that we make mistakes because it is a new policy. Many things are unpredictable. 
the point is when we know that a carbon tax is the best policy to reduce carbon emissions and it is our best tool in our combat against climate change and we have to apply it eventually. Our experience with Norway is that they have applied the policy and they made many mistakes. But the point was that they decided to continue the policy because they knew that this is the most cost-effective policy in reducing carbon emissions and transitioning to a low-carbon economy. As a result of applying the policy for more than 30 years, right now their electricity sector is completely free from fossil fuels and they have one of the biggest electric vehicle fleets in European Union. I have to mention that up to the start of 2020, there were 27 countries that has applied the carbon tax. And right now, based on the data that we have, there are 40 countries in the world that has applied the carbon tax. These countries are the countries that our study shows has gained positive economic benefit because of applying the carbon tax. We used their carbon tax design in a way to provide a baseline to design a good carbon tax policy for Australia. For example, Norway has applied the policy in 1991 the country was one of the first countries that has applied the policy. We consider Norway in this study because Norway has similar economic situation compared to Australia. Both of them are dependent on natural resources and fossil fuels in their export revenue. But the country was just like Australia, so vulnerable to our climate change because of the vast coastline areas. And they decided to act sooner. At the G7 meeting this year, Canada joined the fray in using carbon taxing to resolve the urgency of the climate crisis. Notably, their approach was about being very careful in how the messaging takes place to win the public's favour. Prime Minister Trudeau appointed former Environment Minister Catherine McKenna, who now leads a UN team laying out carbon tax strategies favourable to business operators. If you start off looking at polling, the polling is terrible. If you like say, do you want a carbon tax? <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. What about carbon pricing? A little bit better. What about putting a price on pollution? Better. No longer free to pollute. Best. Back to getting, for the first time ever, worlds coming together. Degree that everyone needed to do their part on climate change and that there was a clear target staying well below two degrees, striving for 1.5 that was all really important. Australia may not have the convenience of another 30 years like other countries to make carbon tax palatable. Mona says even if Australia doesn't act now, though, external drivers will force its hand to consider it. For example, the European Union has just started to roll out carbon tax in its borders with global trading partners. In the European uh, Union, they are trying to implement a border tax, a carbon adjustment border tax and it has started in October 2023. Based on this tax, any country that wants to export their product to European Union, they have to, if they are not applying a carbon tax in their own country, they have to pay additional tax. So the price of the product in European Union should be estimated based on the amount of carbon emissions, carbon that has been emitted during the production of the process. So in Australia, when we want to export the products to European Union, we have to pay the tax and at the border if we do not pay it in Australia. And the companies will feel that cost when they are going to export their products. If you don't pay this carbon tax here, 
and you don't support this policy, you'll have to pay that down to Europe when you export. Is that what you're saying? Yes, their competitiveness declined because they think that their prices are, for example, the price that they have mentioned here. When it comes to export in European Union, they cannot export at this price. They cannot sell their product at the price that they have set here in Australia. They have to sell their products in European Union based on the price that they have set in addition to the tariff that they have to pay at the border. So the price will increase and it will affect their competitiveness. Another thing is that this new regulation will impact different businesses. It is a global thing that we are talking about the climate change. Although many countries are not in line with this right now, but the changes in reportings, the mandatory reportings about the amount of carbon emissions each industry has during the production of their products will impact in the future, will result in providing new regulations, and these regulations will impact companies. As a business, they have to think about their long-term value as it will be impacted by the new regulations that will come. Most of the businesses are the huge carbon emitters and they have to try to reduce their carbon emissions. In addition to that, we mentioned that a part of the carbon tax revenue should be invested and we can provide incentive for big companies, carbon polluters, to use this investment as a low rate loans or incentive to transition to low carbon technologies. So these incentives will help them to accelerate their transition to low carbon technologies. Australia continues to operate big fossil fuel emitters and in fact recently approved more extractive resource operations. The mining sector is also divided on which parts of the industry should be subjected to the carbon tax. So what model can possibly work that's better designed than the one introduced in 2012 by the Gillard government? We have to make sure that we are thinking about ahead of applying the policy. The companies should know that the carbon tax policy, even though it is not applied here in Australia, but there are many countries, they are applying the policy. They are facing the cost of the carbon tax, for example, in their supply chain when they import. So they're paying this tax. The point is the policy should be designed based on the economic structure of each country. For example, in Ireland, their economy does not depend on exporting fossil fuels. So they invested their carbon tax in insulating their houses because they're, they are locating in a cold place. And their study showed that there is so much waste of energy in their houses. So they use a percentage of the carbon tax revenue to give loans to households to insulate their houses. And another share of their carbon tax revenue has been invested in the manufacturing sector to increase the productivity of the manufacturing sector. They have been using this money to reduce the carbon emission through the agricultural production, because we know that one of the big parts in the emission of carbon is the agricultural sector. They renovate their agricultural sector and they give new instruments and machinery to the big agricultural farms. The policy should be designed based on the economic structure of the country. It needs a good source of investment and expertise. And one of the approaches that has been applied in most of the countries that were successful in 
gaining the economic benefit because of the policy was just doing the CG studies, computational general equilibrium studies before applying the policy. It shows how the policy that we are going to apply will impact different economic variables. So we know how this policy will impact businesses, will impact inflation, will impact households. And then we can provide a good policy to compensate for each problem that we may face after the application of the policy. We're at advantage because other countries, like almost 40 countries, have already introduced some form of carbon tax, so we can learn from that. From the point of view of the consumer, can you walk me through what the computational equilibrium is? Like, how is that calculated? How useful will that be to convince Australia to take on carbon taxing? This CGE or computational general equilibrium approach is one of the most important economic approaches in evaluating the impact of policy changes on the economy. We just model the whole economy by economic models, mathematical and economic models. And then we start to provide shocks to the economy to see how different variables that are interrelated into the economy based on this economic model, how this shock will impact different economic variables. In this study that I have published, I used this approach and I estimated the impact of the policy on inflation, on GDP, and on the amount of carbon emissions. This model can be expanded. We can add different economic groups into the model. For example, we can divide the household sector based on their household income. So to understand what will be the impact of the policy on low-income families compared to high-income families. So when a policy is applied, we know that to which group of people we should pay more after the application of the policy in order to save their consumption power. This approach has been used in many countries. The main point in gaining the economic benefit after applying the policy is just to saving the consumption power of families. Families should be able to continue spending into the economy in order to be able to increase the GDP growth of the country over time. This is the point. We must, first of all, compensate for the loss of purchasing power of families. In the model that I have been provided for Australia, I mentioned that in the first year, all the carbon tax revenue should be redirected back to the households. But when we apply a carbon tax policy, companies when they see that their cost of production has increased and uh, there are some competitors in the market for their products, they will start to think about investing in new technologies. And then in the second year, we can help them by giving them incentive or loan to them to transition to a low-carbon technology. So to sum it all up, it's a tax that will be seen as expensive at first, but we recoup the costs in the long term by preventing our planet overheating to over 2 degrees through low-carbon investments by 2030. Let me simplify it even more. Say the government announces that $10 will be collected as carbon tax from everyone so we can save the planet from overheating. So to make it happen... Say the cost of each ton of carbon pollution is $10 and you consume two tons of carbon emissions for your daily electricity consumption. So you pay $20 for your carbon. The higher carbon emitters use 50 tons of carbon pollution and it will make them to pay $500. 
So $520 go into the carbon tax pool. The government then reallocate any revenue accumulated back to the economy. It's called revenue recycling. You get a rebate back from the carbon tax, say, for example, $100, which can then allay your inflationary expenses. While the 420 can partly go back to the economy by investor incentive to move away from the fossil fuels into renewable sources. From that pool, the government can also put it back via technology innovation, retraining programs, or new job opportunities. In time, that $520 doubles or triples into almost $2,000. So there is more funds in the carbon tax pool to do more transformation into a low carbon economy. Because you are spending more on green products, in turn, the investors will put their investment into making green-sourced products. Eventually, by following this policy and monitoring it through the computational general equilibrium systems, will mitigate higher costs during climate emergencies, bushfires, and catastrophic floods. We will eventually then find the right economic balance while saving the planet from the global warming. Phew. I tell you, knowledge is power. It all suddenly makes sense. I can now conduct a decent conversation about carbon tax at least without going into panic mode. Okay, it's time to sign off now. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow this episode and more from any of your podcast platforms. Think Sustainability is made possible through the support of Radio 2SERFM and the University of Technology, Sydney. I'm Anne-Marie Reyes. Thank you for listening.